Very good. If you have your copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, we've got two more messages out of our 1 Thessalonians series. And then we're going to move straight into 2 Thessalonians. much shorter book, more concise in some ways. And uh, we will take about four messages out of that. Um, and that will get us all the way up till tr- to Transition Sunday, I think. And so what we're going to do tonight is look at verses 16 uh, through verses 24. And, and you'll notice that, that I've skipped verses 12 and verse 13 because they have to do with, with our relationship to our pastor and our pastor's relationship to us. And I, and I felt that uh, it would be more timely to save those verses to preach Sunday night. Um, June 7th, which is this next Sunday night, because that is their ministry anniversary, and it's just a a fitting, appropriate time for that. And on top of that, I have some things I want to share with you and talk with you about Transition Sunday, which is the weekend of July 31st through August the 2nd, which I hope you're marking down and planning to attend. Um, But we'll wait on that until next week. Tonight, we're going to finish out the letter to the Thessalonians, beginning in verse number 16. If you're there, say amen together. Let's read. Verse 16, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying, prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body Be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. title of the message tonight is this. Holy, holy. Holy, holy. Now I'm going to structure this message just a little bit different. I want to tell you up front what I'm going to do so you don't get lost as I'm doing it. Normally I will work sequentially through the verses. So if I did that tonight, I would start at verse 16 and I'd end at verse 24. But what I feel Paul does in this letter as he's writing to Thessalonians is he gives us his subject in verse 23. And then he helps us to apply the subject in verses 16 through 22 and then in verses 24. So it's kind of like a sandwich. I'm going to start with the meat and then I'm going to put the bread on. And and so I want you to be able to follow kind of what I'm doing tonight. Clearly verse 23 gives us our subject. And it's the verse that I based the title of the message on when Paul said, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. So the the subject is our sanctification. So, So we need to talk about sanctification for a little bit theologically in order to understand how to apply it practically. Now this is important because because I want you to understand what it is because a lot of folks... When we get to these kind of doctrinal points in the message, they just kind of tune out and think in their mind, I'm going to wait until this applies to my life. But doctrine applies to your life. Doctrine informs your daily practice. And so I want you to tune in from the very beginning because I want you to walk out being able to explain to somebody else what sanctification means theologically. And then I want you to walk out understanding how to live it out Practically, here it is, the process in which God progressively transforms the believer into the image of his son. Now let me back up just a little bit and explain to you that there are three levels 
of transformation spoken about in the New Testament that happen in a believer's life. And sanctification is not the first. It begins with justification. And then it goes to sanctification. And then when we get to heaven, we receive glorification. Now you need to understand the, the two parts of this. I'm going to give you a little object lesson. And, and one of my favorite camp speakers, Brother Bill Marshall, uses this as a lesson to illustrate these three stages. Over there, that mic stand is going to represent justification. What is justification? Justification is when you are made right before God. So, so justification happens at the point of salvation. So when you accept by faith Jesus' fully uh, finished work on the cross for your sin, you believe that by faith, you ask him to be the Lord of your life, then at that very moment, God doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see you as a sinner. He sees you through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ, who is sinless. And the Bible says Jesus then became our substitute, our stand-in. He became our representative, our sinless representative before God. And so God sees you as justified, just as if you never sinned. That's good news. That happens at the point of salvation. And then clear over there, when you take your final breath, if you're a believer then you will, you will be able to experience one day what the Bible calls glorification. Where you will literally be like Jesus. You will have a fully, completely sanctified body. But in all this space in between is where sanctification takes place. Justification happens at salvation. You are made legally right. With, it is a legal term. Legally right with God. And then you begin this journey of spiritual growth until you take your final breath and you get to heaven and you are glorified fully. Now understand something. That justification happens instantaneously. All of these represent stages of transformation. So you are transformed instantaneously at salvation. You don't get saved over a course of time. You place your faith in Jesus Christ, you accept him as the Lord of your life, and instantly you're made right with God. Now that's awesome. That's really good. You don't have to do anything to earn that over time. And the good thing about it is if you don't have to do anything to earn it, you can't do anything to lose it. And so this is instantaneous. Over there, I would call this an eventual transformation. And so you're going to be transformed instantaneously but eventually you'll be transformed fully. In between here, you'll be transformed progressively. So it's important to understand that when you enter into the sanctification part of your Christian life, God's not really in a hurry. It's not, it's not that he condones sin, but he really never stops working on you. And we can't expect somebody to be justified and instantly to be this far down the road of sanctification. It is a progressive, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so you need to understand that, that, that during this time right here, like this is the time most of us, if you're saved, this is the time that you're living in. Now watch here. 
You can't get justification and sanctification mixed up. Here's why that's dangerous. Because I hear lost people tell me all the time, I'll get saved whenever I get my act together. And we got to have a little bit of sympathy for that. They aren't, they aren't tuned into the doctrine of, of justification, sanctification, glorification. They're naturally thinking they're not good enough to come to Jesus. And, and, and that baffles me, but they're, they're not informed as to the doctrine of the New Testament. And, and so they're, they're thinking that I've got to be sanctified and then I can be justified. Did you know that there are some religions, false religions, but some religions that teach that you have to be sanctified before you're justified? Hello, that's not right. We are saved not of works, but by our faith and faith alone. And, 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 and so you've got to understand that, that comes justification. I think about it like this, and if you want to use this to explain it to somebody that might come from a works-based salvation, this would help you. If you go and purchase a house, and when you walk into the house and you look at it, and you decide you want to purchase it, you also decide we're going to have to do some renovation. We're going to have to do some remodel work. We want to make it ours. Then, then you don't go and renovate the house until you purchase the house. Now that's common sense. You're going to make sure that you go and you sign all the legal documents and it becomes yours and then you're going to begin the renovation. In the same way, God doesn't start renovation until salvation. And when you're justified, in other words, your relationship is legally binding. I mean, it, it, it's never going away. You're made right before God. You're his. Then at that moment, the remodel process in your life begins. And unlike how we treat renovation on a house where we might renovate one part of the house and then say we're going to get to that part, but a dozen years later we never get to that part. God isn't satisfied with renovating one little square inch of your life. That's why sanctification is progressive. That's why it's ongoing. Because God isn't satisfied until you are holy, holy. Now we've got to understand the implication. And I'm spending time on this. I don't have to, but I think we need to tonight. That, that, that by God saying holy sanctified, I, I think that, that he's making the point, Paul is in his prayer... That we ought not to place no trespassing signs over any part of our heart, mind or body. Hey, it's all God's. He has purchased us. We are his possession. And every square inch of our being ought to be constantly in a state of spiritual growth and maturity. And there's also an implication in how Paul prayed because he said, I want them to be sanctified in their spirit, soul, and body. Did you notice that order? He didn't start with the body first. He started from the inside out. Paul isn't praying for us to have our behavior modified. He's praying for us to, over time, have our heart transformed. Paul isn't saying this, you need to dress different and talk different and act different. Don't smoke, smoke. Don't smoke chew, or run with girls who do. That's not his prayer. Pretty good advice, but that's not his prayer. Paul starts with the heart. He starts with the spirit. 
He says you need to let the sanctifying power of God invade the inner man, the spirit and the soul, and ultimately that will affect the outward man, the body. So, so he doesn't leave out the body It's just a byproduct of the inner man being sanctified over time. Which which leads me to say this. A Christian who says they are holy on the inside, but none of that shows on the outside, ultimately isn't as holy as they think they are. Because the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Last time I checked, you can see fruit. It's outward. I'm not telling you to start with the outward. That, that, that will lead to frustration and that will lead to spiritual discouragement over time if it's not heart transformation first. But you can't claim to have a heart that's truly been sanctified fully and wholly by the Holy Spirit if none of the things on the outside are being changed at all. Yeah. So that's Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians. And God's desire for your life That's his subject of this text. I want you to be holy, holy, completely sanctified, increasingly growing more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like theologically. If you understand that a little bit, say amen. And so then what does that look like practically? How does that affect me on Monday? Paul's going to show us some examples of a holy, sanctified life in the verses leading up to verse number 23 by giving us six imperatives. I want to say up front that, that by no means is this a, a, a list, an exhaustive list of what a sanctified life looks like. There are other portions of Scripture that, that give us other things than this list. Paul is just using them as, as six marks. To to be able to show us how to identify sanctification in our lives. And here's what I want you to do as I work my way through these. I want you to ask yourself, is that me? Is that aspect of the sanctified life part of my life? I don't want you just to sit there and, and, and listen without intentionality tonight. I want you to let the word of God be what it calls itself, and that's a mirror. And so as I'm working through these aspects of a sanctified life every single one of them i want you to let the holy spirit reveal to you am i growing in that area here's the first one found in verse 16 a holy sanctified life is joyful in outlook he said rejoice evermore i I think the idea of of rejoicing always i think it's perplexing sometimes to christians It's it's the kind of truth we talk about, but in our mind, it seems impossible to practice. Because we live in a fallen world. We are surrounded by hurt and pain and sorrow, and one might legitimately question, how can we live in 2020 in the United States of America and always rejoice? I mean, it sounds great, but it's not realistic. Or is it? When you look at another scripture in Galatians 5, 22, the fruit of the Spirit, It teaches us that our joy is not generated from the outside in, but from the inside out. It's not something that we've got to work on. It's something that we live in. But the fruit, that's the outward, of the spirit, that's the inward, is love, and secondly, joy. 
So the Spirit's work inside of us produces joy outside of us. Therefore, listen church, if you want to know if you're really pursuing a holy, sanctified life, evaluate your outlook. Examine your perspective. Is it one of consistent joy? Or do you find your joy being unstable? Your perspective being soured often by circumstances or people around you. Is your joy kind of like a roller coaster? See, one that is wholly sanctified is one that from the inside out has a joyful perspective. He goes on in verse 17. And here's the second mark. Consistent in prayer. He says, pray without ceasing. Obviously, he's not telling us to pray nonstop 24-7. He's telling us to make prayer a regular, habitual, consistent part of our life. Meaning this, if you are being wholly sanctified before the Lord, here's what's going to happen. You're going to pray often. Often. For more than your food. Notice he didn't say, read your Bible without ceasing. He didn't say serve your church without ceasing. And he didn't say witness without ceasing. All of those are good things. But the context of being sanctified from the inside out, I don't think any spiritual discipline reflects Christ's likeness more than private prayer does. Nobody sees that. You don't get any pats on the back for that. That takes some discipline. And here's what I'm afraid many Christians do. They cover up their lack of prayer life with their Bible knowledge. Or how many ministries they serve in. Or how many people they bring to church with them. And don't stop doing those things. They're all important. But you can't do those things and then call yourself sanctified if you do those things minus a consistent private prayer life. Because a growing life isn't possible apart from private prayer. I've often heard the reluctance when, 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 when a preacher preaches this verse from Folks that say, I don't know what to pray for. If I'm supposed to be always praying, like I'm going to run out of things to pray for. Like that's not realistic. How do I do that? Well, Luke 11 gives us that model prayer. Some people call it the Lord's Prayer. And if you just look at that prayer alone, it gives you a great structure. When you pray, Jesus said, worship God. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When you pray, seek and surrender to God's will. Thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. When you pray, ask God to meet your needs. Give us this day our daily bread. When you pray, ask for forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. When you pray, ask God's help uh, to forgive others of their sins towards you. He said, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. When you pray, ask for help to overcome temptation. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. I mean, that will keep you busy for a while. And that's just the model prayer found in Luke 11. I didn't even mention Philippians 4, where we're commanded to pray about everything that worries us. Or Colossians 4, where we're commanded to pray for missionaries. Or John 4, where we're commanded to pray for laborers in the harvest. Or 1 Timothy 3, where we're commanded to pray for all in authority. Or James chapter 1, where we're commanded to pray for wisdom. Or James chapter 5, where we're commanded to pray for the sick that go to church with us. I mean, if you take time to study what the Bible says about prayer, you will have a lot to pray about. How's your prayer life? Consistent? If it's not, then you are missing a mark. Of a sanctified life. Number three, he says, a sanctified life will be grateful in attitude. Verse 18, in everything give thanks. Again, someone might wonder, how is that possible? That I have to be thankful for everything in my life when everything's not good. Well, he said, in everything, not for everything. 
So you don't have to be thankful for cancer. <laughs> but a growing Christian will be thankful in their battle against cancer. And you don't have to be thankful for a bad boss. But a growing Christian will be thankful in their dealings with a bad boss. And you don't have to be thankful for your present location, geographical location, being separated from kids and grandkids in the, in the dreaded LK. But a growing Christian will be thankful in their present geographical location and make the most of it. Because a, a growing Christian understands that the good sovereign hand of God is in control of everything. And even when things in your life tell you to be sour and grumpy and depressed and discouraged, you understand that God can take anything, even evil, and turn it for good. So you're going to trust him and be grateful in your attitude. He goes on in verse 19. I'm not spend a lot of time on these because, frankly, Paul didn't spend a lot of time on these. And you're probably saying amen in your mind right now. He gives us the fourth mark of a sanctified life. And it's this, sensitive to the Spirit. Verse 19, quench not the Spirit. Now, you've got to understand what Paul's doing now. Because with this imperative, he, he, he goes from commanding them um, what to do to now he's going to tell them, what to stop doing. In the first three imperatives, he places an emphasis on the manner in which the action is to be performed. Did you notice that? Always rejoicing, constantly praying, in everything give thanks. In the next two imperatives, he's going to place the emphasis on the subject being discussed. Don't quench the spirit and don't despise prophesying. So what did Paul mean when he told us don't quench the spirit and what does that have to do with sanctification? Well, let's, let's study the word quench. It probably means what you think it means, to extinguish, to put out, to stifle. In fact, it's even used in Hebrews 11, verse 34, to speak of putting out a fire. L look at this verse. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Watch. Quench the violence of fire. The same exact word used here was used there. So you can take Paul's admonition and read it this way. Don't put out the Holy Spirit's fire. I begin to think about ways in which that might be possible. How do we throw water on what the Holy Spirit is trying to accomplish in our lives by way of sanctification? I mean, if we keep these verses in the context of becoming sanctified Christians, then it is possible for us to halt the Holy Spirit's work to sanctify us. I thought about this. When the Spirit moves on somebody's heart to confront you about an apparent weakness or sin in your life because they love you enough to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. We ought to be sensitive to the Spirit's use of their exhortation in our life. Not defensive. You know why? Because through the counsel of somebody that loves you that much, the Spirit is trying to sanctify you. I can't tell you how many times I've grown because a courageous friend came to me and pointed out something that I wasn't doing well in leadership, I wasn't doing well in marriage, I wasn't doing well in parenting, I wasn't doing well in whatever area of my life. I have had many a friend sharpen me. And I'm thankful that, that God has given me grace over the times. Not, I haven't accepted that grace every time. But a lot of times I can say I've accepted that, that critique. And I've grown from it. I, I thought about this. When God sends a trial your way. Not one of your own making. A trial sent by God. I think Tanner spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but I think we ought to be sensitive to how the Spirit wants to use that trial to sanctify our lives. 
Like, don't get so caught up with asking God, why are you doing this to me? Instead, do what Tanner told us to do and James 1 tells us to do. Ask God, what? What is it that I'm supposed to learn in this time? How is the Spirit working in my life? And then I think the most common way that the Spirit tries to move you along on the path of progressive sanctification is through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. As the preacher is preaching, do you know the Spirit is working in a way the preacher is incapable of working? Even tonight, the Spirit is working in every heart through conviction, sometimes encouragement, sometimes guidance, sometimes confirmation. In those times, I'm talking about when you're in the pew, don't stifle the Holy Spirit's working in your life. Don't put water on His fiery work of sanctification through the text of Scripture. Which leads us straight into the next point in verse 20. Look at the verse. Despise not prophesying. A holy sanctified life is one that is obedient to scripture. Now when you look at the word prophesying, you probably immediately think of Old Testament prophets. And then you think in your mind, there's no prophets today. How does this apply to our lives? Well, Walter Kaiser, a commentator, notes that prophecy can mean either foretelling or forth. Telling. Foretelling speaks to the specific function of the prophet who predicted the future activities of God, Old Testament. Forthtelling speaks to ongoing activity of the prophet who spoke as a preacher of righteousness to his generation and in his culture. Believe it or not, more than two-thirds of all prophetic activity in the Bible is forthtelling rather than foretelling. So Paul's reference here is to the preaching and the teaching and the instruction of God's word. What I'm doing tonight is forthtelling. What I'm doing is I'm preaching the word of God. I'm not foretelling the future. I'm just preaching the word. And Paul said this, when that happens, don't treat it lightly. He said despise it not. Don't treat it with contempt. I begin to think, Brother Mike, in our church, and I think you know this, we've talked about this, there is a, a, a deep appreciation for the word. Like, truly. I, I mean, you're here on a Sunday night. Uh, you're listening well. You're plugged in. There's amens. Not as many as there need to be, but there's amens. I think, no, I know our church appreciates preaching. We get encouraging text messages from church members. We, we have encouraging conversations with church members. Not at all why we do it, but I'm just saying, I know that you appreciate it because you tell me. Because your life proves it. And so I begin to think, how does our church of Bible-appreciating, Bible-believing Christians, how are we prone to despise prophesying? How are you prone to come into this place and to treat lightly the preaching of God that I know, preaching God's word, that I know you appreciate. And I thought of this. Here, here's the way I think we, we can do it without even knowing it. It's through familiarity. Most of you, if you're here on a Sunday night, come to church quite often. And you hear the same people preach over and over and over. And I know you appreciate the Bible. I know you appreciate your pastors, and you're incredibly affirming and encouraging in that. But if we're not careful, 
we'll come one service, and because we're familiar with the person preaching, are familiar with the text of Scripture because it's been preached before, or you read it before, and you know what it means. It's not that you're going to intentionally say, I'm going to despise that message tonight, but you'll just tune out. You'll just get distracted. We're, it doesn't matter how much we appreciate God's Word, we're all still human beings, and we all still go to work on Monday. And, and, and you all have kids that stress you out at times, and you all have bills that you struggle to pay sometimes. And you all, not all, but, but a lot of people have marriages that, that, that sometimes get strained on the way to church. And it's not that you come in here and say, you know what, I can't handle preaching. You don't, you still come. It's that when you sit down, familiar, familiarity takes over. And you just begin to take for granted what's actually happening during this moment. And maybe not even on purpose, it just happens. And when you do that, understand that in every sense of the word, you are despising the preaching of God's word. And so what I think is a clear mark of a sanctified growing believer is one that can come in and hear the same voice. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, fellowship Bible class. And they can hear the same preacher, same voice, text they've read a million times before, heard a million times before, and they're still on the edge of their seat. They're not distracted, they're locked in. They're not sleeping, they're fighting fatigue. The, that is the mark of a growing Christian. So evaluate the way you approach preaching on a regular basis. None of us are perfect. I want to know what the pattern of your life is. That's good. And then let me give you one more. A holy, sanctified life is committed to discernment. Look at verse 21 and 22. He says, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Now, now let's, let's understand some things together. To prove something means to test or examine it for authenticity. So, so what is Paul wanting us to test? Well, what does he say? Look at your Bible. What does he say? Prove what? Come on, somebody other than Mindy, look at your Bible. Prove what? All things. Everything. Meaning for the believer... All of life must be viewed through the lens of Scripture. Why Scripture? Because it's the only form of absolute truth through which we can make proper judgments. Then, Paul says, after you've proved it, upon testing it with the Scriptures, he says this, if it appears good, embrace it. Hold fast to that which is good. But if upon evaluating and proving it to Scripture, if it appears evil... Stay away from it. Avoid it. Here's what that looks like. Watch here. Before accepting just any doctrinal teaching, whether it be from behind this pulpit, a fellowship Bible class, a YouTube video, a radio show, a podcast, or a TV preacher, before accepting any doctrinal teaching as absolute truth, Run it through the lens of Scripture. Put it to the test. Don't just take my word for it. And if it ends up being good teaching, embrace it. If it ends up being evil, totally avoid it. Why is that important? Because believe it or not, people that were raised in this church 
have watched videos, or listened to podcasts, or tuned into TV preachers, and I'm not saying they, they, they all preach heretical doctrine entirely. Don't think I'm throwing shade on everybody out there. I'm not. But they're not all right. And because it sounded good, because they just fully enveloped themselves with that particular teacher, they were influenced by it. And they didn't prove it next to Scripture. And, and now they're... I'm going to say it kindly, but they're heretical in their doctrine. Well, let me say this. Before making a major financial decision, a major vocational decision, put that decision and your motives to the test by lining it up with the principles of Scripture. Now, I understand. A lot of the times the Bible isn't going to give you a direct thou shalt or thou shalt not. So look for biblical principles. If you're not far enough along as a student of the word, and that's okay, to understand how to find biblical principles if they don't jump off the page, then sit down with a, with a biblical counselor who can show you those things. And upon evaluating your decision of any kind to scripture, it, if, if it appears to be good, hey, hold fast to it. Embrace it. If it appears to be bad, totally avoid it. Before you go off and start dating somebody, why don't you put that person to the test? Seeing if their character lines up with what Scripture teaches about a Christian's character. Don't be blinded so much by outward appearance or relational chemistry or untempered hormones that you lose sight of what matters most in a spouse in the long run, and that's their heart, their character, and their godliness. If after proving their character to the text of Scripture and they line up, come on now, embrace them. Just be careful how aggressive the embrace is. If they don't line up, avoid them. You see, the ability to, to discern between good and evil and sometimes even good and great or good and best and the willingness to act upon what you discern is a key attribute of a life that is growing in sanctification. So would you evaluate your last ten major choices? And how many of those were a success? How many of those can you look back on and say that was wise, that was wise, that was wise, that was wise? Or would you have to say that was foolish, that was impulsive, that was hasty, that was immature, that was silly? See, you can see whether or not you are growing. The, the, the truth of the word of God reveals to us where we really are. So let's review. A holy, sanctified life is joyful in outlook, consistent in prayer, grateful in attitude, sensitive to the Spirit, obedient to Scripture, committed to discernment. Now, watch here. I want you to notice what tense all of these imperatives are written in. It's important. They're written in the present tense. And in Scripture, when something's written in the present tense, you go study it yourself. The call by the writer is for continuous action. Meaning these are all areas of your life that will never be perfect, but they should always be progressing. So when you look at this list before you, and when you match up your life honestly to this list, let me ask you a question. Are you continually growing in these six areas? Or have you stopped growing in any of these areas? Upon evaluating this list, could you honestly say, 
that you are living a holy, sanctified life. That's okay to write them down and just start checkmarking where you're at. Grade yourself on a 1 to 10 scale and say, you know, I think I'd do better there. And if you're like me, upon studying this list, I got overwhelmed. Because it seems like that's a lot. (laughs) I mean, that's asking a lot. And you're kind of hoping that God grades on a curve. (laughs) Because there's no way I'm going to live up to the sanctification test. Well, I'm going to end with some good news. Found in verse 24, the bottom piece of the sandwich. Sanctification isn't ultimately up to you. If it was, we would all fail miserably. So don't let the list discourage you. Look at verse number 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. If you are totally intimidated by being joyful in the outlook, like all the time, grateful in your attitude, like all the time, sensitive in your spirit when you just could care less about spiritual things, you need to understand this, that your growth, your holiness, your sanctification ultimately isn't up to you. It's God that began the work in you over there. He'll perform the work in you right here. And he will finish the work in you over there. And that is a promise of God. And here's the good news. God always finishes what he starts. See, a lot of us have really good starting power, but we don't have any staying power. We start things all the time at the beginning of the year, and then we don't stay at it. God's not that way. God has incredible stick to itness, incredible amount of patience. That's why I like the first verse of that song that we sang, He will hold me fast. When I fear my faith would fail, well, God's still there. When I trip up and mess up, God's still there. So what's my role? Cooperate with God. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That's your role. Walk in the Spirit, yield to the Spirit, humbly submit yourself to the Holy Spirit every single day. Say yes to the Spirit. And guess what happens? Sanctification, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance, meekness. You become holy, sanctified. God does that in you. You just have to cooperate. You know, sometimes kids' songs are most profound. Like, Jesus loves me, this I know. Real simple, but really profound. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious. Well, that's a really relevant song today, and it is profound. Jesus only sees one race, that's the human race. And he died for all. I love that. Profound. But kids sing it. We don't sing it down here. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I'm going to stand up on the B-I, the, the word of God. See, we don't sing it down here. We're too cool for Sunday school. And one of those that I learned up growing up was this. He's still working on me. To make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. I love this. How loving and patient he must 
be. I'll sing it one more time. How loving and patient he must be. Like when I take four steps back, how loving and patient he must be. When I despise the prophesying, the preaching of the word, how loving and patient he must be. When I let the circumstances of the United States of America make me grumpy, how loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me because faithful is he who calleth you who also will do it. A list of six imperatives isn't meant to condemn you. It's meant to motivate you and inspire you to cooperate with the one who's really responsible for your sanctification and he will do his part every time. And so as you examine yourself according to that list, maybe you could go home or maybe you could come to the altar tonight and say, God, there's a, there's, there's a part of me that's not cooperating with the Spirit's work. It's, it could be your attitude, your perspective, your sensitivity to the Spirit, how you're treating the Word of God, anything. And, and, and the reason we do invitations is so that you can get that settled before you even walk out of church. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.